We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Nick Nissen, who is an author and speaker who is passionate about addiction medicine and medical education. He is the co-founder of the medical education company Inside the Boards and is a level one team cognitive behavioral therapist. Nick is graduating from the Warren Alpert Medical School of Brown University with an academic appointment as a clinical fellow at Harvard Medical School and will be a resident physician in the Harvard Medical School Department of Psychiatry. He is active on Instagram and YouTube as student Dr. Nissen. Nick, welcome to the show. Are there any other details about yourself that you'd like the audience to know? Thanks, Ted. It's great to be on the show. You know, I, I think you covered uh, most of it. I, I would. The only other thing that I would say is that being interested in mental health um, and being aware of the COVID nineteen concerns, uh, I'm uh, I'm just thinking about a population right now that really uh, is not is not uh, maybe at the front lines of this pandemic, but uh, that we really need to think about. So, uh, as providers or as Uh, people in the community, I think it's a time for us to all be thinking about those around us with mental illness and how we can reach out to them and provide more support at this time. Absolutely. That's great. So Nick, how did you get interested in the subject of mental health in general, and then also mental health as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic? I think I've been interested uh, in mental health, particularly in medical school, as I became aware of this physician burnout uh, issue that we're facing. Uh, And uh, as I've studied that a bit and and have been doing some writing lately, I came across some of these studies going on in China as they were uh, responding to this crisis. And um, there's a study that came out where 50.7% of the population of the health workers uh, had positive screens for depression. 44% had positive screens for generalized anxiety and 36% had positive screens for insomnia. So uh, really seeing that um, at the core of this physician burnout um, uh, epidemic that we were already uh, starting to, to see that, that COVID-19 uh, could be uh, you know, creating more of these issues for physicians, but also for people in our community. Those are pretty massive numbers when you really think about it. Half of the providers having symptoms of depression, almost half having anxiety, and over a third having issues with insomnia. And if you just think, we don't know how long this is going to go on, and if it goes on for any period of time, you know, one could logically guess that these numbers are just going to get worse and symptoms might become more severe. Is that right? Absolutely. And here in the United States, we can fully expect for there to be a similar sort of response in our healthcare providers as they're responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And similarly, um, in, in just the lay public and the community that people will have uh, their own set of mental health issues responding to this issue. Right, right. So Nick, are we seeing an increase in mental health disorders during this time? And if so, can you kind of explain the why behind that? And then I would also ask is what can we do to try to mitigate this and try to keep people healthy and well during this time, mentally well? 
We certainly are seeing more mental illnesses at this time. Uh, in particular, there have been several cases that have come out recently of, of increased rates of suicide or, or, or cases of suicide of people who had been concerned that they had been infected. And then due to the overwhelming uh, sort of feelings and panic associated with that, um, having that outcome. Uh, in addition, there's been more anxiety disorders that have been reported in the uh, studies that I've read online. And I think that this all touches on going back to sort of the the neurology and the neuroscience that we learn in medical school, that, that normally our prefrontal cortex has a response to this fear response in our amygdala. And that when we are faced with all this information, we're faced with this real threat of of an infection and of a real illness. Uh, our, our prefrontal cortex can't calm down our amygdala. It can't calm down the parts of our brain uh, that are that are fearful. And so we get this this response, this fight or flight response in our bodies. Our our blood is shifted away from our gut towards our muscles, and we're ready to move. We're ready to react, uh, but nevertheless, at the same time, we're quarantined. We're staying home in isolation, and so uh, in a time when our body's prepared for more uh, action and motion, we're more and more sort of locked up, and uh, that that leads to more insomnia. It leads to worsening anxiety, and and it seems like that's really a lot of what we're seeing at this time. And Nick, when you say the amygdala, that's what we hear called the reptilian part of our brain, kind of the one of the earliest to develop in, in the human species. And that's where the this fight or flight response comes from. Is that an accurate statement? Yeah, that's where we'll start to experience uh, the sensation of fear. And, and as we're learning more information as well, our amygdala is right next to the hippocampus, which is involved in our learning. And, and a lot of our encoding of learning uh, is related to, to these fight or flight hormones and, and neurotransmitters. And the more and more concerned and worried we are, uh, the more that our, uh, not only our mind will have this concern, but our bodies will be prepared for fight and flight as well. And that fear and that worry can actually overwhelm the logical part of our brain that makes decisions and helps us get through daily life. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And that's, you know, a lot of the um, both serious problem, but also joking around uh, the, the issue of the toilet paper hoarding. And the, this panic of, of going to grab the last thing to make sure that you're prepared, um, it's, it's when we start to act from this uh, deeper part of our brain structure that is more reptilian um, and isn't controlled with the parts of our brain that really make us human, which is the prefrontal cortex and the outer cortex of our brain. Right. And I'm going to give our audience a little preview on a, another episode of this podcast. We're actually going to focus on the psychology of toilet paper hoarding because Everybody you kind of talk to says, yeah, I just don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense. You know, the GI symptom, the gastrointestinal symptoms in this disease don't justify the need for toilet paper. And, you know, logically, it doesn't make sense. So we're going to dive into that topic in another episode. But could you also tell us, Nick, you, you mentioned the physical manifestations of fear and anxiety. What, what are those physical manifestations? Well, um, as, as our body is, is feeling fear, um, we can have, like I was saying, uh, we'll have this reaction where our blood is shifted away from our gut towards our muscles. Uh, we may feel that uh, we're more sort of ready to act, that our bodies are, are more are moving more. We may feel ourselves 
being a little bit more um, antsy or that we have more energy to burn up. Uh, in addition, uh, it may get in the way of our sleep. Um, people's heart rates will pick up, their blood pressure can increase. So that can lead people to when they're trying to go to bed to feel what we call palpitations or that they're, or just that their heart is beating faster or stronger. Uh, it could be experiencing sweat. Uh, in addition, there's a, a connection between anxiety and our gastrointestinal system in, in what we would say irritable bowel syndrome. So people could have periods of constipation or diarrhea as well related to this. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different um, illnesses that are related from skin issues to neurological issues. Um, and all of these can be exacerbated or made, made worse by this worsening anxiety as, as people are uh, experiencing higher anxiety with the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. And all of those things are real manifestations of this mind-body connection that we here talked about. So Nick, in your perspective, um, what are some of the mental health concerns related to COVID-19? So there are many mental health concerns, but I think the the most common ones that, that I wanted to touch upon here today would be anxiety disorders, uh, which we've already touched upon a little bit, but also depression uh, as it relates to social isolation uh, during this time of social distancing and quarantine. So what can people do to try to help you know, with their mental health as they're being asked to socially distance themselves from one another and asked to quarantine and being, you know, spending more time at home? Are there things they can do just to try to approach wellness and try to try to maintain their, their mental and physical health? Absolutely. I think both as providers or as loved ones uh, with somebody who's struggling with anxiety in particular during this time, it's important for us to begin always with empathy. So empathy is literally to feel in someone, to, to dive into their emotional experience with them. So whenever somebody's you know, saying that they're so worried or they're so uh, overwhelmed by the situation, uh, we need to always respond to that with, uh, with, with the response that demonstrates that we're one, a willing listener, and two, that it's a safe space for somebody to be vulnerable. So to show someone that we're a willing listener, we can ask questions and we can, we can validate, first of all, what they're, what they're saying and say, you, that, that makes total sense. Tell me more. Um, trying to get them to continue to, to talk and, and roll out exactly what they're experiencing will be a big part of us showing that we're a willing listener. And then uh, in making it a space to be vulnerable, we can share our feelings as well to say, you know, I, I, I am feeling scared during these, these times too. Um, and by showing and modeling that you're sharing, um, it will allow for somebody to open up and, and share more. After that, uh, the one thing that, that I think it gets a little overlooked is assessing for motivation uh, with uh, changing anxiety. So during these times, as, as we had already talked about a little bit, um, anxiety is going to be increased. And this is our body and our mind looking towards the future and trying to prepare us for, uh, for scary things that may happen in the future. And so uh, if we were to try to do any treatment of anxiety with the goal of wiping it out and making it so, so somebody has no anxiety, that will be something that, that seems a little dangerous to somebody. Because if I had no anxiety, I would go and I would uh, hug my friends. I would go to the grocery store. I would go hang out at, at the cafe. And those things would put me at danger. So I think everyone knows uh, that right now it's appropriate to have some level of anxiety, but the goal is instead of wiping it out, the goal is to diminish it or bring it down. Yeah, that's great. Um, so we hear, Nick, about this idea of cognitive distortions. Can, 
Can you explain what that means and what are some some more common cognitive distortions that we see during this COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah. So once we have talked with somebody and have empathized with them and, uh, and they've you know, demonstrate that they want to bring their anxiety level down, um, then we can go into this exercise of, of identifying uh, the cognitive distortions and the most scary thought that we're having at, uh, in this moment. So cognitive distortions are um, in the world of cognitive behavioral therapy. They are common errors that we have in our thinking. And uh, they were developed by David Burns, who's a professor emeritus at Stanford Medical School, and he's a mentor of mine in Team CBT. Um, so his uh, different 10 cognitive distortions, uh, I'll run through them quickly and then uh, highlight three of them that I think uh, are, are very common during these times. So the first one is magnification and minimization. This is when we take one negative instance and we grow or shrink its importance to incorrectly represent the entire situation. The next one is mental filters. This is when we only notice the negatives and we discount the positives in a situation. After that is overgeneralization. This is when we take one negative instance and then we generalize it to all past and future situations. After that is all or nothing thinking. We view things in a black or white manner. This one's very common uh, where we struggle to th see things in the gray. Discounting the positives. This is when we insist that our positive qualities don't matter. All right, and then there's five more after that. And one that I think is very important is jumping to conclusions. This can be either mind reading or fortune telling, which is when we think that people are watching us, monitoring our actions or judging us more than we than they really are. Or in fortune telling that despite the evidence, we predict things will turn out badly. In emotional reasoning, we identify as or reason from our feelings. And then the last three here is should statements. We criticize ourselves or others with a set of rules as shoulds, shouldn'ts, musts, oughts or have tos labeling where we instead of identifying our mistake we label our identity according to our mistakes and finally self-blame and other blame where we're preoccupied with finding fault and responsibility instead of solving the issue i know that was sort of a long list but it's good to be um, familiar with all of them so that we can go about identifying them in our own thoughts so the three that i think are common coming up right now in the covid 19 pandemic uh, is magnification this is where we take one negative instance and we grow or shrink its importance to incorrectly represent the entire situation. So I remember I went to the grocery store and I uh, there was disinfecting wipes right at the entrance. So I wiped the handle of the uh, grocery cart and went into the store. Sure enough, I went to turn it and I grabbed part that I hadn't disinfected. And immediately I was thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I touched that part. What if it was infected? What if it's on my skin now? And then I just touched my phone and now it's on the phone. So I was completely magnifying the importance of touching. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Woo! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. 
all to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. A non-disinfected part of the grocery cart. Um, and what we know from the information about COVID-19 or SARS-2-CoV uh, is that there is an amount of exposure do, does play a role in in, uh, in the disease uh, progression. So uh, if I were to touch a little bit of a, a dirty grocery cart, um, I could still disinfect later. There's no reason to panic um, and there's no need, no reason to magnify the importance of that instance if I can still take steps afterwards to mitigate it, like just uh, disinfect my hands and disinfect my phone there afterwards. Another one is all or nothing thinking. So this is when we view things in a black or white manner. And I remember uh, after putting away the groceries, uh, I had, you know, wiped and disinfected all of the, all of the different, you know, groceries before putting them in the pantry. And then I remembered I forgot to wipe the bottoms of the cans. And so one can have a thought like the entire house is infected. The entire pantry is just swarming with with um, SARS-2-CoV. And that that would be a sort of black or white thinking. Uh, there's a, a large amount of cleaning that has been done. The risk has been mitigated in a very large degree. And with just a little bit that hadn't been cleaned, um, it would be very easy to mitigate it. There's no reason to think that the entire house now is contaminated. Uh, similarly, with uh, jumping to conclusions, uh, mind reading, which is uh, one of my favorites when we think about people as if they're watching us, monitoring our actions and judging us more than they really are. Uh, you can imagine going to the store with a mask and gloves on, um, doing your grocery shopping and thinking everyone probably thinks that I look so intense or I look like a crazy person. And in reality, we have no evidence to believe that people are thinking these things about us. And in, in fact, maybe they're thinking, oh, that was smart. I should have brought those things too. So those are some very common cognitive distortions uh, that we may be feeling during this time that can increase our anxiety. That's great, Nick. And I'm, I'm really appreciative that you gave us examples of the three that you really wanted to focus on, because when you hear them in the abstract, they're kind of difficult to wrap your head around a little bit, or that maybe this sounds like a little bit of jargon, or you're not sure what it means. But by I always learn better by having like concrete examples of what something looks like, so I can paint a picture in my brain. Um, I want to ask, I don't want to minimize this by asking you to give us kind of a thumbnail answer to this next question. And, and I know people devote years of study to this topic. So again, we're not going to cover it all during this podcast, but can you give us kind of broad strokes ideas that when somebody is having cognitive distortions like you described, how do you counsel with them to help them overcome some of these distortions? Yeah. So I think that uh, a great place to start is once we've educated on the cognitive distortions and somebody can demonstrate back to us what the cognitive distortions are, then we can start with a very clear moment of anxiety in their lives and inspect that and have them teach back to us why it was a cognitive distortion. So after going through these examples, what I would think would be the best way to follow up would be, all right, let's, let's think about the last time that you were very anxious. When was it? What day was it? Where were you? And they may say, okay, I was at the grocery store and I had uh, just using the, the same uh, grocery card example that I was just using. And they talk about how they have touched part of their uh, grocery card that wasn't disinfected and they started to feel very anxious. 
So uh, beginning with that example, then now we can start to ask them, well, what do you think was a cognitive distortion that was going on? And what we're doing, like I was just talking about with the prefrontal cortex control over our reptilian brain, the more that we can practice that that logical uh, sort of control over our reptilian or animal uh, part of our brain that's deeper down, uh, the, the stronger that that control will be. And that and we'll practice that more and more by having somebody teach back to us why a thought is distorted. Um, so just practicing going through those, I think, is is probably the easiest way to to start. But uh, there are many other methods that Dr. Burns uh, teaches that that we could go into in more detail in a, in a post or something later for people that are interested. Right, and I think actually what would be very helpful um, offline, I will get the name of Dr. Burns from you and perhaps a link in case anybody wants to read more about this topic and try to educate themselves, and maybe we'll even twist your arm and get you to write a post about it for the for the COVID podcast website. That'd be great. Awesome. Um, so let's move on to mood disorders, Nick, and specifically depression. What are our concerns related to depression in the setting of this COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah, so one of the biggest things that we've been spreading from a public health standpoint is the idea of social distancing. And it is truly uh, perhaps the most uh, powerful thing that we can do to control this outbreak in addition to washing our hands. Um, but it is having serious implications uh, in the realm of mental health. In particular, uh, it is one of the greatest triggers for depression and relapse for addictions, among many other things, uh, socially uh, isolating, which is what it's turned into for many people. And I think that Personally, uh, I, I believe that a, a better term or a better way to think about it is physical distancing instead of social distancing, because we really need to try to maintain uh, every amount of social connection that we can during this period of physical dis distancing from others. So depression is cer certainly uh, taking a hit in this period where people are feeling more socially isolated. So social isolation has its implications both for addiction uh, and depression. And people's AA or NA meetings will be canceled. Uh, doctor's offices will be closed and it will be more difficult to get medications uh, or things like methadone or suboxone as well. Uh, and this is also in the context of, of the United States and many parts of the world a very severe suicide issue with suicide being the second most common cause of death in those aged 10 to 34 in the United States and the fourth most common cause of death in those aged 35 to 54. So this is certainly a, a moment of social isolation becoming more and more common that uh, that's putting them in danger. Great. Um, and Nick, you mentioned methadone and suboxone, though, just so that everybody knows what we're talking about. Those are medications that are used to treat substance use disorder and specifically like heroin and, and opiate abuse. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Treatment for opioid use disorder uh, and in particular methadone, uh, it's dosed once a day. You need to visit the clinic every single day. So there's all sorts of logistic issues that are happening for, for people with opioid use disorder, but also uh, for those that are seeing doctors or therapists regularly. Right. Right. So, Nick, what can we do uh, about depression at this time of a global COVID-19 pandemic? So depression during this period 
you know, certainly uh, people should try to maintain the same mental health measures that they had uh, before the pandemic, which is trying to maintain regular contact with their providers, taking their medications regularly, and trying to continue their therapy um, through a, a teletherapy sort of model, uh, if it's possible. But in addition, I think that um, some behavioral activation could be something we could use. So that this is a kind of a school uh, of, of therapy that's related to cognitive behavioral therapy, where it's focused on uh, trying to be very mindful in the behaviors that we are crafting in order to create the best mental health outcomes. And when people are quarantined or um, isolated, uh, it can be very important to try to keep that same amount of variety in their actions in their daily life so that they're not obsessing over or becoming too narrow in their their thought patterns and their activity patterns, which is so common in depression. Right. All, all great advice, Nick. As we start to wrap up this episode of the podcast, are there any closing remarks that you have or anything that I haven't asked you that you want to let our audience know about? Well, I think that of, of all the different areas to focus on in behavioral activation, uh, these areas can be spirituality, service to others, family, fun, uh, health and fitness, professional advancement, finances and mental health. As we're looking at all these different areas of life that we can uh, really touch upon to be able to keep the same amount of variety to our lives, I think it's important to just be mindful to structure our day. So the first thing to begin with is circadian rhythms. So our bodies rely on having natural exposure to light during light hours and then exposure to dark at night. So try to have the windows open first thing in the morning, try to create a dark environment to sleep in, and then try to uh, maintain the same amount of sort of routine that you had before going into quarantine or before uh, isolating. So um, if that meant that you woke up at a certain time, you showered or you worked out, and then you dressed up a certain way for work uh, and then went to a specific space for work, you can still repeat that in your own home. Try to have a, a consistent time that you're waking up, having your consistent exercise, and then um, dressing well and, and having a space within your home to do work where it can be uninterrupted. And then similarly, I would say that incorporating some piece into your day of getting outside uh, when it's safe, where you have no contact with others. If you have a yard, you could certainly go into your yard as long as you're not having contact with others or with um, things that may have been touched recently. Or if you live near the, you know, the open wilderness, you can certainly go into open wilderness. Uh, I, I saw something recently where they said, look for uh, parks, not playgrounds. So places like that where you're not touching, where you're not close to others would be a, a good way to get exposure outside. And then finally, I think the single most important thing for those struggling with depression at this time is to communicate. So one last thing I would say is that this is a time for physical distancing, not social distancing. So we should uh, remain as social as we can. Uh, and I think that it would go very far if we could all FaceTime a friend at least once a day to maintain that regular social interaction that will really do wonders for us during this COVID-19 pandemic. That's outstanding advice, Nick. One thing that I've been doing at the tail end of each of these interviews is trying to give a shout out to local communities. You know, the this pandemic 
with COVID-19 is having real impacts on small businesses and restaurants. And we want to do whatever little bit we can to help and, you know, hopefully even help somebody with their own depression or anxiety related to this. If we can have a positive impact there, that would even be an extra benefit. Are there any small businesses in your area or restaurants that have shifted to takeout that you want to give a shout out to so that we can try to support them? I think this is an awesome initiative. I, uh, although not a restaurant or a small business per se, um, something that's very near and dear to my heart is this movement in Austin, Texas, which is, it is called the Stay Weird Austin Stay Strong t-shirt campaign. Um, so my brother-in-law is in the tourism industry in Austin. He gave bike tours of Austin and, um, with this, you know, with this pandemic, their business has completely stopped. And so he's been laid off and and really doesn't have options for, you know, thinking about how to pay for his rent or thinking about how to pay for food. Um, so uh, so this is a way that people can get this historic T-shirt going along with the uh, Keep Austin Weird sort of uh, trend that they have down there. Um, and in return, these uh, people within the uh, tourism industry or other service industry that are affected are able to get a cut of that. So his code is do it for Dewey, D-E-W-E-Y. Um, and that will uh, help for him to, to make it through this tough period. Is there a website that you have? Or if you don't have that available, we can put it into the show notes in case anybody wants to go support that initiative. Sure. It is 213.bigcartel.com. So that's two spelled out, T-W-O-T-H-I-R-T-E-E-N.B-I-G-C-A-R-T-E-L.com. And his code is do it for Dewey, D-E-W-E-Y. All right. We'll get that information from you, Nick, so we can put it in the show notes in case anybody wants to help out. Um, that's a great initiative. The interesting timing here is I was actually supposed to be in Austin today, if you can believe that, for a conference that got canceled because of everything that's going on with COVID-19. So it's interesting that you brought that up. I want to thank you for your time and and sharing your expertise and thoughts on all of this, Nick. Mental health is incredibly important always and even more so in times of significant stress like this. So we really appreciate your, your thoughts and your insights. Of course. Thank you, Ted. My pleasure. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.